Hello, I want to welcome you to the Point Church Alberta Campus Sunday Preaching Podcast. My name is Josh Heisler and I'm the Alberta Campus Pastor. We strongly believe in the expositional preaching of God's Word, which works to build our faith and grow us up in Christ. Our prayer is that this message will be a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join us as we get to the point. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, would you open it up to 2 Timothy chapter 2? 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab one of those hardback black Bibles from under your chair. And if you're using one of those, you'll want to turn to page 995. We're continuing in our series uh, in the book of 2 Timothy, which we've entitled Getting Real. And two weeks ago, as we began this series, I told you that if we really want to get the most out of this book as we're studying it, that, that we absolutely can, then we have got to keep the context of the book in mind. Paul is in prison there in Rome. And and unlike the other times that Paul has been in prison, this time there's no escape. This time, the only way he's getting out is through death. Many of his friends had abandoned him. He's looking at death in the face. And as he's sitting there in this Roman prison, he's writing this letter to his friend, his, his disciple, his true son in the faith, Timothy. And as he's writing him, he's, he's working to send this very personal letter that's going to encourage him and, it, and while he's writing to Timothy, this letter that he writes, it's also encouraging to us. You see, the, the cost of discipleship for Paul was, was starting to show its face. Paul was starting to see that it was getting real to, to be a follower of Jesus. He was about to lose his life. And the cost of discipleship for Timothy, it was getting real too. He had his own struggles that he had to deal with over in Ephesus, his own trials, But in this letter where where Paul is writing to Timothy to encourage him to press forward in the faith, in spite of those trials, we can find an encouragement for us as well. And and so that's where we began in this letter. So so as we looked at chapter one over the last couple of weeks, we've seen some commands that we need to embrace. The first command is to fan into flame the gift of God that is within you. That was the first command we saw. And then the second was to not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord Jesus. Jesus. And as we've talked about those commands and the implications of those commands, we we looked at those, um, we we saw how they're going to affect our life. But as we move into chapter two today, we're going to see how those commands can be worked out into ministry. Ministry is something that all of us do. It's not something that just Josh and Kristen and Nathan do. It's something that we're all called to do. And and we're going to see how we can take that and apply it to our lives. Those commands really are setting the stage for what we're going to look at today. So uh, without any further ado, let's just dive in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're just going to look at the first seven verses together. This is the word of the Lord. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Elsewhere in Scripture, we read that the grass withers, that the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, as we dive into this chapter together, I ask that you would speak to us in a fresh and powerful way. 
that you would get me out of the way and that you would encourage us to be the disciples that you've called us to be who live on mission for you. And as we're doing that mission, as we're living on that mission, God, I ask that you would teach us to be utterly dependent on you that we look to you for strength, that we don't try to do this by our own sheer force of will, but that we trust that you will give us what we need in the moment to serve you. Empower us, embolden us to live on mission, God. You've given us a, a mission here in Alberta, Alabama, and in the surrounding county. God, we want to live that mission out. And so we ask that you would help us, that you would encourage us, that you would embolden us for that mission. And as always, Lord, we ask that if there's somebody here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, we ask that today would be the day where they would repent of their sin and they would come to know you as Lord, where they would find the freedom and joy that is available when they give up the weight of sin that's weighing them down and embrace the, the life that you have to offer. We love you, Lord Jesus. We're trusting in you to do all of these things today as we continue to worship you by studying your word. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Sometimes in life, we can miss out on themes. You, you know what I'm talking about, themes, right? Themes in, in art, in, in music, in, in books. We can miss out on themes that are woven into all kinds of things. Friday night, uh, Katie had a friend spend the night at our house, and, and while she was spending the night, we decided to sit down and watch Hamilton. I, I don't know if you've seen Hamilton. If you haven't, Hamilton is Lin-Manuel Miranda's um, musical, Broadway musical, about the life and times of Alexander Hamilton. And, and, and despite its PG-13 rating and, uh, for language and some adult situations, despite some historical inaccuracies and some, uh, some anachronisms that are in there, Hamilton itself, is, as a musical, as, as a work of art, is a masterpiece. It is incredibly good. It's catchy. And, and as we watched that on Friday night for what felt like the millionth time, uh, because in our household, um, how do I put ha Hamilton is to Katie like uh, Frozen is to a six-year-old girl. You know what I mean? Like, like, it's always going on in the background. But as we were watching this on Friday night, um, for the millionth time, I realized how many themes in that musical that I'd been missing out on. There are so many themes and layers of themes in Hamilton. Like, like there are themes in the costumes. The, the colors of the costumes that the actors are wearing different, during different parts of the musical are meant to convey a message. And the musical themes are even more significant. Each character has a way that they sing their name. Like, I'm not kidding. I'm not going to sing. I, I thought about it, but nobody wants me to sing. So I'm just, but each one sings their name in a different way. And the other characters do too. But, but even more than that, like the genre of music that's being used during different parts of the musical by different actors conveys a theme. So like when you look at the young American rebels, they're singing like rap and R&B and is, is rap singing? Anyway, that's what they're using, right? And, but, but when you see like King George III or Samuel Seabury, who, who is an American loyalist, who's, he's loyal to the crown, they sing with more traditional kind of Broadway style music, right? And what that's meant to show is like these Americans are, are ushering in the new thing and, and the British are, are out with the old. That, that's kind of what's going on. There are themes everywhere. And what I realized as I watched this for the millionth time and I, I started seeing some of these themes is, is it, it built my understanding of the message that that musical was meant to convey. 
It made it even more powerful, even more moving as I watched it. It it somehow became greater. And as we move into this text today and and we're reading um, the second chapter, we're beginning to see some themes in the letter as well. And these themes, if we don't see them, it, it, the weight of what we're reading, it can kind of be missed. So, so I want you to see some themes that we've got in this letter today as we're following Christ together. So as we begin reading this letter, we, we've been getting hints about some of these themes, about our need, especially the first theme, is, is to rely on God's strength as we follow Christ. We've gotten hints and while um, in the text, they, haven't, they have been just that. They've just been hints up to now. They, they haven't been commands. As we come to chapter two, we're going to see an outright command. So two weeks ago in, in chapter one, verse six, we saw the command to fan and to flame the gift of God that is within you. And as we talked about that, we, we saw that the reason that we can obey that command is found the very next verse in verse seven, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. When we become followers of Jesus, when we become Christians, the Holy Spirit fills us, he dwells within us. And when he does that, he gives us his power. That's what we saw. And then last week, as we looked at chapter 1, verse 8, we saw the command to share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. We're not sharing in suffering by our own power. We're not putting up with this um, by our own strength. We have the power of God, the power of God that comes through the Spirit of God. And in both of these instances, we have to recognize that that we need that power if we're going to follow Christ. But in both of those instances, we we didn't get an actual command. They were just themes in the background. But today, as as we continue on in chapter two, those those hints, that theme, it's going to become a command. It's going to come right out to the forefront. So take a look at chapter two, verse one. Paul says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So there's our command right there. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's the command that we're going to follow. And there's so much there in those 10 words. He says, be strengthened. Now, this is going to sound super technical, but it's important. So I want you to hear me. That command right there, be strengthened, is a passive present command. It's a, sorry, I said that backwards. It doesn't really matter though. It's a present passive command. It's present, which means just what it sounds like. Today, right now, in this moment, be strengthened. This is not past tense. This is not get your strength from this reserve you have built up over time. It's not future tense. It's not build up a reserve of strength for the challenges that are coming ahead. No, this is present. It's right now, every day, every moment, right here, where you're at. Keep on being strengthened but it's also passive, which means that the strength, the power that you need is is something that is received. This command is not strengthen yourself. This command is not go to the gym and do reps every day. Get strength for yourself. Get to work at it. Make yourself strong. This is be strengthened. Receive your strength from outside of you, from God. This is passive. God is the one who is doing the strengthening, not you. And this is important. 
because that's not where our natural inclination lies. We keep talking about this. I keep telling you this. Our natural inclination is to try and do this ourselves. Our natural inclination is to try and be strong enough on our own. But what Paul is telling us right here is he's taking what has been a theme in the background and he's bringing it out front and center for all of us to see. He's telling us that this strength is not something that we do in and of ourselves. It's a strength that we get from outside of ourselves. And I think somebody here needs to hear that today. If I can be just perfectly honest with you, I needed to hear that this week. Like Wednesday night, I went home and I, I laid down in bed and I'm, I'm thinking about all of the things that are coming down the road in the next few months ahead. And, and as I was thinking about all of that, I started to get a little overwhelmed. And, and no kidding, it was a sweet gift of God that in that moment as I'm lying in bed, this verse just like came straight to my head. Like no kidding, it was, it was like God was saying, Josh, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Don't try to do this by your own strength. Don't try to do this by yourself. Use my strength as you're going to face these challenges that are coming your way. Like I needed to hear that this week. Like I sat there in bed, Tama's out cold, and, and I'm like crying because I needed to be reminded that my strength isn't how I follow Christ. And I think I'm not alone in that today. Our strength doesn't come from within. Our culture tells us that's where it comes from, but, but that's not what the Bible says. We receive strength. And the way we receive it, the means by which this strength comes to us, is the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, when we think about grace, what do we think about? We think about unmerited favor, right? When we talk about grace, when we sing about grace, we almost always think of God's disposition toward us. We, we think of the fact that we have received from God that which we do not deserve, right? We think about grace as disposition. And while grace is disposition, at the same time, it's power too. And to help you see that, I want you to flip back to Ephesians chapter 2. Flip over there really quick. Ephesians chapter 2, coming up there, Paul has been telling the Ephesian church that all of us were dead in our sin and our trespasses. And then beginning in verse 4, he says, but God, <laughs> total side, side tension. Those are like my favorite two words in the Bible right there. Like, like we're overwhelmed. We can't do it anymore. We can't do anything but God. Enough said. Sermon over. Let's go home. Okay. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Now, we're going to stop right there. Because up until there, what we're looking at is disposition. Even while we were dead in our sin, he made us alive. That's unmerited favor. God's mercy and love, they overflowed on us. That's disposition. But then he adds right here, check this out. He adds this little kind of parenthetical statement. By grace, you have been saved. And then he continues the sentence and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, really quick. Like saved right there at the end of that parenthetical statement. Saved is another way of saying made alive. 
So, so he said before, made us alive. And that's talking about grace as disposition. But, but now he says that that grace has saved us. It is the power that has taken us from death to life. It is the power that has made us alive. Now take that and bring it back over to 2 Timothy. We're right here in 2 Timothy. Grace is the power that raises the dead. It's what makes us alive. And here, Paul is telling us that grace is the power that also gives us strength. But how do we tap into that power? We tap into that power in Christ Jesus. We look to Christ. We trust Christ that he has done everything necessary. He has done all that we need in order to follow him, in order to receive this strength that we need in order to be on mission for him. A friend of mine told me this week, the grace that saves you is grace enough to sustain you. That's absolutely true. That's what we're seeing right here. So you don't need to rely on your own strength. You rely on his strength. We receive from Christ this grace, this power that gives us the strength that we need for ministry. The strength that we need for ministry, it comes from God. We've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks. And I'm going to keep on telling you this over and over again. You cannot do this by your own power. You cannot follow Christ by your own force of will. You need something greater. You need something bigger. And I really do believe, if I can just be honest with you, it is the ultimate sign of pride to think that you don't. It is the ultimate arrogance to think that you can walk through life in holiness, especially as we look at this world around us right now where they're coming at us, where they're they're not friendly to us anymore like, like it used to be. It is the ultimate sign of arrogance to think that you don't need help from outside, that you can do this on your own with your own strength. We need the strength that is in God. I need that strength. So do you. So, so what we're seeing here is that we need to teach ourselves to rely on God's grace for strength. That's what we're seeing right here at the beginning. Stop trying to do it by yourself. Stop trying to follow Jesus on your own with your own strength, because if you do, you're just going to fail. You need his strength. You need his grace. But as we continue on into verse 2, we're going to see how we take that strength and we put it to work. Take a look, starting at verse two, Paul writes, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So, so far we we see that we we learn to rely on God's grace for strength. And as as we receive that strength, we make disciples. That's what we do with this. That's essentially the the command that Paul is giving right here. Make disciples. Now, in this specific context, this is absolutely Paul telling Timothy to appoint elders who will help to shepherd the church in Ephesus. But if we remember the command that Jesus has given to every single one of us, the command that we recite every single Sunday together, we can be reminded that this is the mission of every single disciple. The mission of every single Christian is to make disciples. What you hear, you share. 
That's what we're seeing right here. That's how the gospel is spread. But what I want you to recognize before we go any further in the text is that that is the reason that you're here today. Paul entrusted the message of the gospel to Timothy. Timothy entrusted the message of the gospel to other faithful men. Those other faithful men entrusted the gospel to other faithful men who entrusted it to other men, to other men, until someday someone entrusted the message of the gospel to you. That's why you're here today. That's how the gospel gets spread. That's how Christians are made. Because the gospel message, it's a trust. It does not belong to you. You don't get to keep it to yourself. It's yours to faithfully steward. And the way that you steward the gospel message is by sharing that message. That's what we're seeing right here. That's why every week we repeat Matthew 28 together. To remind ourselves that what we have here, it's not ours to hoard to ourselves, but to share with a world that needs it. The mission of every Christian is to entrust the message of the gospel to faithful men and women who will share it with others. What you hear, you share. But living that message is going to come with a cost. It's not going to be easy. So Paul repeats, and and then he amplifies a command that we saw last week. It's another theme of this letter. Take a look, starting at verse 3. We're going to go a couple of verses here, but Paul says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. The repeated command, the, the next theme I want you to pick up on here today is to share in suffering. Embrace it. Don't run from it. Here in this section of the letter, Paul is telling us to receive the strength from God that we're going to need for ministry through the grace that is available in Christ Jesus to make disciples and then to lean in to the cost of making disciples. To lean into it. And in this amplified version of the command that we saw last week, we're, we're going to see that making disciples requires at least three things. It's going to require dedication. It's going to require integrity and it's going to require hard work. That's the point of the three examples Paul gives right there. Paul says in verse three, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. In February of 1998, I went from Tacoma up to Seattle, Washington, and I raised my right hand and I swore an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, to bear true faith and allegiance to the same, to obey the orders of the President of the United States and the officers appointed over me according to regulation and the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And as I lowered my right hand, my life didn't belong to me anymore. I got on an airplane, I flew to Great Lakes, Illinois for boot camp, and now my life belonged to the Navy. I went to bed when they told me to go to bed. I got up when they told me to get up. I ate when they told me to eat. I did whatever they told me to do when they told me to do it. I lived to serve the United States Navy. And in the same way, when you become a follower of Jesus, 
You're like a sailor. You're like a soldier is the example Paul uses. He didn't apparently like the U.S. Navy, but whatever. You, you don't live for yourself anymore. You live to serve the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is just that. He is your Lord. He is your King. You serve him. And verse 4 tells us what that looks like. Paul says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. A soldier has one mission, to serve the one who enlisted him. He he is focused on that mission. He is dedicated to that mission. He he doesn't get drawn off into side jobs. He he has one mission. And, And for Christians, that's true as well. Our focus is the mission that Jesus Christ has given us to go and make disciples. And and if we're going to do that, it requires dedication. We've got to be locked into that. Disciple making requires dedication. We've got to be committed, completely committed to the mission. But it also requires integrity, which is why Paul gives another example. This time, it's an example of an athlete. Take a look. In verse 5, he says, An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. This is talking about integrity. You can't take shortcuts. You can't cheat the system. You have to follow the rules. You have to have integrity. Back in 2014, um, I was serving on the admiral's staff. We were the, uh, the command, my, we, the admiral was the commander of the Ronald Reagan Carrier Strike Group. And we were participating in this massive, it's actually the world's largest multinational exercise in the Pacific Ocean off the uh, coast of Hawaii. Um, there are countries or ships from countries all over the planet that gather for RIMPAC every year. And, and as part of that exercise, we pull into part, port for about a week. And while we're in port, the crews of all the different ships have a lot of competitions. You know, there's soccer, which the Americans lose because we're not good at soccer because we like football, right? Um, there's baseball and basketball. And one of the things was, was a sailing regatta. Now, I'm not super athletic, but I know how to sail. So I signed up for that with my buddy Tom. And we went out to go do the sailing regatta. And and we were sailing, I think it was Rhodes 19s, but don't quote me on that. They're small sailboats, right? It was a sailing race. That's what it was. And the course for the race was marked out by buoys in the harbor. And as we went about in the race and we were, we were racing the course, we got toward about, I don't know, three quarters of the way or so. And we realized we were in the lead. We were winning. And, and so we finished the race course and we pull into the slip and we tie the boat up and, and we're like high-fiving each other. We had won the race. We were thrilled until the boat that took second place pulled into the slip. And they pointed out that on the last turn, we had cut inside the buoy instead of outside of the buoy. We had taken a shortcut. We didn't mean to take a shortcut, but we had. We had broken the rules. We had cheated we didn't mean to cheat, but we, we didn't. So we were disqualified because we didn't race according to the rules. If we're going to make disciples, we have to do it with integrity. We have to do it, with, like stand up and do it proudly. It takes integrity to make disciples. We have to be honest with people about their sin. But we also have to be honest about our own. We have to model that we believe this gospel message We have to show them that we can live it out every day. So we let them see us walking a life of repentance. When we sin, we repent and we do it in such a way that they see it, that we need this gospel message just as much as they do. If you want to make disciples, you have got to be a disciple. 
Like you've got to live this out. It's gotta be more than just something you do on a Sunday morning. This has to matter to us Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday as well. We have to walk in integrity. But disciple making also requires hard work. In verse six, Paul says, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. We live here in a a farming community. So of the three examples, uh, this one ought to be the easiest to relate to. But needless to say, if, if you didn't know, farming takes hard work. Right? It's a lot of work. You have to get up early in the morning. You spend all day out working the land or working with the animals, whatever you're farming. Often you'll work very late into the night. You go to bed and it just starts over the following morning. You work nonstop. Farming is not an easy living. There is a lot of hard work involved. There's a lot of real effort involved. And it's the same thing with making disciples. It takes time. It takes work. It takes intentionality. It's not just standing on a corner and yelling at cars as they pass by. Like you've got to earn the right to speak into somebody's life, which means you're going to have to build relationships. Like you can't just like shout it. You got to build a relationship so that you have the right to speak into somebody's life so that you can share the gospel. It's going to take repeating the gospel through your actions and your words over and over again in many different forms and many different words. It's going to take a lot of prayer. Making disciples takes hard work. And so Paul is showing us here in these three examples that disciple making, it requires dedication. It requires integrity. And it requires hard work. Making disciples, this mission that we exist to carry out, it's not easy. We're going to need a strength that comes only from Jesus. And we're going to experience suffering as we're obedient to this command to make disciples, but it's not without reward. I love how John Piper pointed out that every one of those examples right there comes with an implied promise. Look at these again. Verse four, Paul says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Now, now what's the implied promise there? The implied promise there is that if we are dedicated to the mission to serve Jesus, to make disciples, if we're dedicated to that, it's going to please him. And verse five, verse five, Paul says, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. What's the implied promise in this one? The implied promise is that if we, if we go out and we make disciples with integrity, there's a crown, there's a reward that's coming our way for us to receive. There's, there's a promised reward. And verse six, in verse six, he says, it's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. What's the implied promise in that one? It's that the hardworking farmer, as we're working hard to proclaim the gospel, to share the, the, the good news about Jesus, to make disciples, we're going to receive the first share of the crops, which means we're going to receive the fruit of all of that effort. Now, absolutely, the primary time reference for the receipt of these promises, it primarily is eschatological. It is primarily talking about when we see Jesus face to face. But... I also believe that that in here, we're seeing a promise for now too. And I think that that means that as we're dedicated to the mission, 
when we are walking with integrity as we pursue the mission, when we work hard on the mission, we're going to see disciples made. We're going to see hearts changed. We're going to see broken lives made whole. We're going to see people repent of their sin and place their hope and faith in Jesus Christ. They're going to walk in the freedom that is available in the cross from, from Jesus. We're going to see that. We're going to see God at work. But to lean into this ministry like that, like it, it, it seems as you read this, it, it, it seems that we're going to, it means we're going to have to put ourselves on a collision course with suffering. There's going to be pain involved, which is why I I think Paul has now told us twice to share in suffering. The examples of a soldier, of of an athlete, of a farmer, they, they all point to hardship in service. You guys know anybody that's ever served in the military that said it wasn't hard? You know, any athlete who's achieved any success in their sport that didn't have to work really, really hard. You know, a single farmer who's just like raked it in and didn't work day and night nonstop for years on end. There is hardship involved with being a disciple of Jesus. And so while this call that Jesus has given us may seem hard, while it may seem difficult to see the benefit as we're thinking about what he's calling us to, he's saying, hey, embrace suffering. While that may seem hard, and let's not kid ourselves, it is. Like the radical demand that Christ places on our life, it's It's hard. The radical demand he calls us to, it's hard. He's calling us to be dedicated to the mission and embrace suffering. He's calling us to walk with integrity, which means we own our sin publicly and embrace suffering. It means he's calling us to work hard on this mission and embrace suffering. This is a hard call right here. Don't kid yourself. Being a Christian, it is not an easy thing to do. So while it may seem difficult to see the benefit in the text right here, well, and, and as we try to understand what he's calling us to here, I think that's why he at Paul adds this command there at verse 7. Paul says, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. This command right there is, is very similar to the commands that Nathan read in our scripture reading from Proverbs chapter 2. Like Paul is absolutely, uh, I think, echoing Solomon. When he says, think over what I say, he's echoing Paul's command. He's telling, us, he's telling us to make our ears attentive to this wisdom, to incline our hearts to understanding, to call out for insight, to seek understanding like silver, to search for it like hidden treasure. Meditate on this, consider it, think these things over. But just like Solomon, I want you to see he also reminds us that when we do that hard work, that hard intellectual work of thinking it over, of chewing it, of looking at it from different angles, when we do that, I want you to see that it's God is, who's the one who gives us understanding. Proverbs 2.6, for the Lord gives wisdom. The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. God's going to give us. He's going to grant to us understanding. He's going to give us what we need. So we seek the Lord 
and we depend on him. We do the hard work. We meditate. We consider. We think about. We depend on him, knowing that he's the one who's going to grant us understanding. When the commands of scripture don't make sense to us, and this is why it's so important, I think, to think over it. When these commands of scripture don't make sense to us, there are some temptations that will come our way from time to time. There's a temptation to say, you know what? I'm not going to worry about that part. I'm just going to move on to something easier. There's the temptation to look at it and say, you know, this applied to them, but I don't think it applies to us. But there's also the temptation, like the rich young man we talked about a couple of weeks ago, to to look at what we're being called to and just walk away from Jesus altogether. To look at the command and say, you know what, this This is too hard. I'm out. Which is why Paul gives us this command right here in verse 7. Because he's calling us to do something better. He's telling us to seek the Lord and depend on him to help us understand. And as we do that, he's reminding us that we know that the Lord is going to give us the understanding that we need. Growing up in the church, I, I feel like I was, I was taught, just, maybe that's what I received, I don't know, but I feel like I was taught that the whole point of becoming a Christian was to get to go to heaven. That the whole point of becoming a Christian was avoiding spending eternity in hell. And while heaven, while eternity reconciled to God, free from the curse of sin, while that is the reward of the Christian life of following after Jesus, while that is true, if that was all that it is, I really do think that God would just snap us up the moment we repent of our sin. But he doesn't. He leaves us here. Here on earth to serve as his missionaries. See, missionaries are more than just the people we send overseas. They're the people that God sends to proclaim the gospel. And he's sending all of us. He leaves us here with a mission to accomplish. And the mission is hard. That's one of the themes of this letter. Like you can't read 2 Timothy and think, oh, being a Christian is going to be easy. Like you just can't. So twice now we've been told to share in suffering. And we've been told that because, well, hard doesn't mean impossible. Hard does not mean impossible. Suffering shouldn't stop us because the mission is worth it. And while the mission is hard and it involves suffering, and and we've been told twice now to share in suffering, We've also been told three times that we get power from God to do this. Three times now we've been told to get our strength from God. That's another one of the themes of this letter. We're called to a mission. It's a hard mission, but it's a mission worth pursuing. God has placed us right here 
both individually, like every single person that's here. He has placed you right here. He has placed us here collectively as a church in Alberta, Alabama in 2021. He has done that to do this. And so we're going to do it. As a church, we are going to live this mission. And as we do, we can rely on God's grace for strength. We can follow the command to make disciples with dedication, with integrity, with hard work. And along the way, when we don't understand the command, when we don't get it in our heads what's going on here, we can seek the Lord and be dependent on him. That's what Paul is telling us right here. And so as I get ready to close this out, and Nathan's here, and he's going to start playing in a minute, I, I want you to think about what God is confronting us with here in this text today. Because he is. That's the whole point of his word. Is that he's confronting us. And so I want you to think about that, and I'm going to ask you some questions, and I don't want you to answer out loud. These are questions for you to, to think about, and as the Lord leads you, I want you to respond to these questions. Two groups of people in the room today. I mean, there's more than that, but... First group, if you're a Christian, I want you to ask... As I live this life as a disciple of Jesus, whose strength am I using? Do I rely on my own strength or the Lord's? Am I still trying to do this by my own or am I trusting God? That's the first question. The next question is, who have I shared the gospel with lately? Statistics say nobody. Not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm really not. I'm just saying that's what survey after survey after survey says. Who have I shared the gospel with lately? Follow on question of that. Who is God placing in my heart, in my mind right now that needs to hear the gospel? Close your eyes. Think about that one. Because I promise you, if you've got friends that are not Christians, they need to hear the gospel. If you've got friends and you don't know if they're Christians, you need to be a better friend. Who is God laying on my heart to share the gospel with? Next question, are you putting forth, am I putting forth real effort to make disciples? Do I do the hard work? Am I walking in integrity? Am I dedicated to the mission? Or is all of this stuff lip service? Is all of this stuff just something I do on Sundays because it's the thing to do? And last question. Is the Lord leading you right now to pursue an area of ministry? 
an area to serve here in the church, an area to serve somewhere else. Uh, Men, is God calling you to ministry? Don't say no too quickly. Don't say, oh, I've got a job already. There's no way he's calling me to that. I'm 41 years old and this is my second year in ministry. Sometimes he calls you out of one job to put you in another one. But I want you to think about these questions. That's for the Christians in the room. Non-Christians, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I've got just one question for you today. Why not? What is the roadblock? You're you're here at a church on a Sunday morning. What is the roadblock that is saying, you know what, I, I can't do that. Do you feel that tug on your heart to come and follow Jesus? If that is you, come see me after the service and I will lead you to the best decision you have ever made. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast from The Point Church. If you would like more information about our church, or if you have any questions, you can find us online at tothepoint.church.